Hi, welcome to Sistery Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Marva and Sabrina. And on this podcast, we look at history through the eyes of sisterhood. Hi, Marva. How's your day going? My day's going all right. How are you, Sabrina? Pretty good. It's been pretty nice weather today, which is nice. Got to walk around a bit. That's nice. I'm jealous. I like have not even been able to like go outside, and I'm just hoping that it will still be like nice and mm. warm-ish this evening. Mm. Probably. It was like 60 today. <laughs> this is a fascinating podcast topic, <laughs> talking about the weather. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, today is going to be a mini-sode, and I think this one will actually be mini, unlike our last mini-sode, which was like basically a full episode. <laughs> Um, but so as you know, last week, Marva was on a holiday in Scotland and I went to their National Portrait Gallery, which was really lovely. And I learned about a lot of incredible women. So this week I wanted to do a Scottish history episode, but I wasn't able to get the biography of the woman I wanted to, one of the women I wanted to talk about. So we're going mm-hmm. to have to postpone that one. And plus, I ended up spending the whole five-hour train ride just, like, staring out the window at cows. So I didn't really (laughs) do all of my research I could have done. Um, So instead, we'll have a mini-so today about one of my favorite sisterhoods in history, the Blue Stockings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've heard of them? You've been talking about... No, you've told me about them. And, like, Mm -hmm. you said, like, from the very beginning that you wanted to do an episode about them. Yeah, exactly. So this is, like, an 18th century group. So... The research was very fun and kind of easy because I already knew a lot of these people. Before we get into the who's who of all the people, we can get into the what's what of the Blue Stocking Society. So the Blue Stocking Society came into existence in the mid-18th century. And during this period, there was a new form of aristocratic social life that had just kind of taken off in England, which is the Salon. And salons had existed ever since like the 16th century in Italy, but the trend got to England a bit later. And these were informal gatherings of intellectuals in the homes of educated aristocrats. Ugh, basically like a sleepover between you and me. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, in true 18th century fashion, though, these were not typically all prim and proper. They were a place for drinking, gambling, gossiping, and flirting. I mean, that does sound like a good sleepover. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But these weren't sleepovers. They were just, like, get-togethers. Okay. Um, And I feel like in a lot of, like, movies, TV shows from this time, you'll see this kind of thing of, like, everyone, like, smoking and drinking and, like, playing cards, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, after dinner, that kind of thing. Um, Talking about politics. Yeah, this is, like... um... In, like, Marie Antoinette, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. The movie, yeah. Yeah, so this was, like, that same period. Um, this was getting, like, really popular in Europe and England. And in response to this and to this, all of this, like, kind of debauchery-style um, salons, we got the Blue Stocking Society. And this was a f- group of female intellectuals that were against all of the hedonism of their day. And their group was created as an alternative to nights spent gossiping and playing cards to give women some more intellectual activities to do. And its members were wealthy, elite women. And it started off as a literary discussion group. And they strove for rational conversation, which basically meant refined intellectual discussions instead of just 
proper, polite, small talk to seem sociable. So they really got into the deep, the deep stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to lie, the original salon sounds a bit more <laughs> More fun, fun. for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they just like, they didn't want to feel like silly women, kind of. So they made this alternative that was a bit more serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their aim was to promote women's education and also to support one another. And they would meet and have intellectual conversations, usually over tea. And it's important to mention that even though this was led by women, it wasn't just for women. Educated men were also invited, such as Samuel Johnson, who wrote the first English dictionary, and David Garrick, who was a famous director at the time. Those are some like notable male members. But nowadays, when we look back at this group, we kind of view it as a proto-feminist gathering of women. And it was called the Blue Stocking Society because one day, one of the club's founding members invited a man named Benjamin Stillingfleet to one of her parties, and he declined the invitation because he said he didn't have the proper clothes, but she encouraged him to come anyways in his blue stockings, which were casual, everyday stockings. So after- Oh, I thought, I didn't realize that men even wore stockings. <laughs> I think it's just like, tie- like not, I mean, socks, like tall socks. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but so you're like, oh, it's a casual day. I'll wear my blue socks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after that, they were called the Blue Stocking Society, or they would call themselves sometimes the Blue Stocking Philosophers because it was an informal meeting for friends. And their group got mocked and misrepresented sometimes in the media and art and stuff, but they were a really respectable group. And one of their members wrote, quote, They were composed of persons distinguished in general for their rank, talents, and respectable character who met frequently at Mrs. Vesey's and a few other houses for the sole purpose of conversation and were different in no respect from other parties but that the company did not play at cards. So as this quote kind of mentioned, there was Elizabeth Vesey was one of the founding members of Blue Stockings. And I know in a lot of our episodes, there's always like one name that just comes up like a hundred times. So today mm-hmm. it's Elizabeth. I think there's four Elizabeths in this episode. Of course. In this mini episode. At least it's not Mary, because yeah. Mary, I feel like in every episode, it, there's it's always usually seven Mary. Of them. Yeah. So I was yeah. kind of surprised. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the two founding members were Elizabeth Bessie and Elizabeth Montague, which I looked into it. Elizabeth Montague doesn't seem to be of any relation to Mary Wortley Montague, who we talked about earlier mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know anyone, like, I don't have any friends who have my same name. So, like, wouldn't that be kind of weird? Or is that normal? I mean, your name is not normal, though, I feel like. <laughs> I know, but I mean, I like, knew people, people named generally Sabrina. make friends? And they were your friends? Um, this girl in my choir, I, like, talked to her. And then this yeah, girl but in would you come? But would you become friends with somebody who had your same name? Yeah. If I like them, I care more about their personality than their name. I don't know. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth Vesey was born in Ireland in 1715 to Thomas Vesey, the Bishop of Osry, and his wife Mary. So there's a Mary, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and around 1730, when she was just 15, she married a parliament member named William Hancock. Their marriage didn't last, though, and in 1746, she became a Vessie once again when she married her cousin. Love that for her. (laughs) 
Do we? <laughs> Do we love that? I don't love it for any offspring, but I mean, I guess it's easy for her. Yeah. Like, because you get to change like, your name back. changing your name. Because yeah. that is such a struggle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so his name was, I'm not going to say this right, I think it's Irish, it's Ogmondesham Vesey. And he was also a member of Irish Parliament, so she had a type. And although they were based in Ireland, the couple lived back and forth between England and Ireland. And unlike many of the members who we'll talk about in a minute, Elizabeth Vesey wasn't known as a writer or painter or an actress or anything like that. Instead, she was known then and is remembered now as just an amazing hostess. She brought together like-minded men and women who were well-educated, philosophical intellectuals, and hosted salons that ultimately became known as the Blue Stocking Society. I'm surprised that they had um, actresses. I know, yeah, but different different time. It's a little bit later now. Like, I know, because I know what you're saying, like, at the turn of the century, actresses were considered, like, prostitutes. But even... Wait, what year are we talking about? This is 1750s, 1760s. Yeah, but even in the like research doing for in doing research for the Maria Coventry mm-hmm. Kitty Fisher episode, yeah, that was true. also like mid seventeen hundreds, yeah. and they still had the same kind of reputation. Yeah, but I mean, you do have Maria Coventry marrying like a super wealthy aristocrat and becoming yeah. part of those circles, so it does happen, like the crossover. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess I didn't I didn't imagine that he married her like for her mind, I guess. But <laughs> no, don't underestimate maybe. actresses. I'm not I'm just saying like their reputation mm-hmm. at that time, yes. whether it was fitting or not fitting, mm-hmm. was that, you know, of this. And so like people who are so obsessed with like your reputation, mm-hmm. like these upper class yeah, people. I'm surprised, yeah, that they'd be like, Oh, come on, actress, yeah. like, let's be intellectual together. Yeah, definitely a bit more open minded. Um, both of the women though, who we'll talk about who are like in the theater world were also related to men in theater who were like super high up. So I feel like they had, like, a lot mm-hmm. of status. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't just, like, a random actress off the street. It was, like, yeah. Well, I guess, like, inviting, like, Emma Watson versus inviting, like, I don't know. I'm thinking, like, Kim Kardashian. Someone, like, someone who's, like, could fit into, like, elite circles versus someone who's, like... Kim Kardashian's about to be a lawyer. That's okay. true. That's true. But I'm just saying, like, someone who people see as, like, refined and stuff. Maybe, like, mm-hmm. versus, like, a Jersey Shore person. Neither of those are actors anyways, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like a different, like, caliber. Yeah. It's like how people now are like, oh, like, I go to the theater. Yeah, yes. And then they're like, oh, like, that's so Hollywood. Like, yeah, man. yeah, exactly. Um, maybe. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> but that seems like it would make sense. Um, but yeah, so she, she was known for her wit, vivacity, and artful conversation, And she wrote lots of letters, but never actually published anything. And Elizabeth Montague, our other co-founder, was born Elizabeth Robinson on October 2nd, 1718 in New York, three years after the other Elizabeth. Her parents were Matthew Robinson and Elizabeth Drake, who were both from wealthy, well-connected families. And I read something that said Elizabeth Montague was the wealthiest woman in England, but I feel like that's a lie, but it was on, like, a... Yeah, like, what about the Queen? Yeah, but it was on, like, a British Museum website. I was like, I feel like you can't just say this, like, out of nowhere, so... But she wasn't even, like, a lady-something. 
Um, like a duchess or something like that. So that's not her title. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. feel like, I don't know if they're just being dramatic though. Like hyperbolic. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, like the wealthiest yeah. woman. Like maybe they meant like among her yeah. friends, but whatever. She was yeah. super duper wealthy. Like I also claim to be the wealthiest <laughs> woman in England. Is that true? Yeah. I don't, I don't actually know. know. Um, and as a child, Elizabeth learned Latin, French, and Italian. And she never really had any real interest in men or marrying, but she did eventually marry Edward Montague on August 5th, 19... <laughs> I always do this! 1742! When she was 200 years old, she finally decided it was time to settle down. <laughs> yeah. Um, August 5th, 1742. He was a 50-year-old bachelor, and she was just 24. And they were friendly with each other, but they spent much of their marriage apart. Still, this marriage gave her even more money and status than she had been born into and promoted her from gentry to aristocracy. Hmm. So she kept herself company by hosting literary breakfasts, which eventually grew into large conversation parties. And at these gatherings, she forbade card playing and excessive drinking. So we can see how this kind of leads to the blue stockings. Elizabeth Montague was called the Queen of the Blues, but both she and Elizabeth Vesey built the Blue Stocking Society together. And it seems like Elizabeth Vesey's charming personality is the one who made the assembly so successful, whereas Elizabeth had the large house and the money that was necessary to host so many elite people. And another woman, Frances Boscawen, is also considered a founding member, but she doesn't typically get as much recognition for it. She was born in 1719 in Kent as Frances Glanville. And the interesting thing about her maiden name is that that it's actually her mother's name because her father took his wife's name along with with her portrait when they got married. Oh, wow. Um, Along with her fortune. I know. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, that seems like more fair, I guess. Keeps with the family name. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. And her mother very tragically died during childbirth, and then her father remarried later and sent Frances to be raised by other relatives for the most part. So rude. I know. She ended up marrying Edward Boscawen on December 11th, 1742, whom she really seemed to love and had a happy marriage with. But sadly, he was in the Navy, so he was gone for long periods of time, and he passed away at a pretty early age after battling a high fever. On January tenth, ni- <laughs> <laughs> on January tenth, seventeen sixty-one. It's not even. It's not even like the nineteen hundreds that that we live in. No, we live in I the two thousands. Yeah. So, and I didn't. This time I wrote seventeen sixty-one. I just said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but after he passed away, she started hosting blue stockings meetings, also in seventeen sixty-one, and she was well known as a hostess as well as a letter writer during her lifetime. And at the time, her letters weren't published, but her blue stocking friends would read and admire them. And Elizabeth Montague wrote about Frances, I think there is not a grain of evil in her composition. She is humble, charitable, pious, and of gentle temper, with the firmest principles and with a great deal of discretion, void of any degree of art, warm and constant in her affections, mild towards offenders, but rigorous towards offense. So, sounds like a lovely lady. (laughs) and as important as the hostesses are the group would be nothing without its members so i'm gonna talk about a lot of people who i think are all super interesting 
But I don't know. If you get bored, just just keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just stay silent. (laughs) Yes. So first off, there is Angelica Kaufman, who was a Swiss painter. And I actually saw her paintings at the Scottish National Portrait Gallery. And I thought about doing her for this episode. But there's not a whole lot of information about her besides, like, she's an artist. Um, Mm -hmm. And she studied art in Rome, but mostly worked in London. And she was actually a founding member of the Royal Academy, which launched in 1768. And we talked about in our pre-Raphaelite models episode. So check that out if you want to learn more about that. But it's basically, like, an artistic society that's, like, very official. And the group was full of writers as well. So there was Elizabeth Carter and Anna Letitia Barbald, who are two major poets of the time. Elizabeth Carter. I don't know why, but Elizabeth Carter just sounds like such a modern I name. I know, it, it does, really right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but Elizabeth was what's called a graveyard poet. And as the name implies, her poetry is super dark. Lots about melancholy and dying and, yeah, just creepy. And Barbald is actually one of my favorite poets who I've loved for years. And she was super brilliant, a prodigy from a really young age. Like in her memoirs, they say that she like learned how to read and write when she was like two. Like she's so smart. Um, And in addition to... Is that possible? I don't think so. It's written by her niece. So I think she was just (laughs) saying that to be like flattering. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) And in addition to poetry, she wrote essays, children's stories, and literary criticism, and was truly, like, a professional writer, not just doing it for fun or on the side, like, which is pretty impressive for a woman during this period. And she was also a teacher, but when some other women approached her about helping them start a women's college, she refused because she thought that women didn't want to attend college. And she said that... This is what they always do. I don't know why people are like this. What do they always do? (laughs) No, we talked about in some other episode, I can't remember what, but like, I think it was in the Montague one, Mm -hmm. where they were all like rich and educated, but then they're like, oh, we don't think that other people should be educated. It's just for us. It's so ironic. Um, And yeah, so what she said basically is, um, quote, the best way for a woman to acquire knowledge is from conversation with a father, brother, or friend. But the thing is that when she was a little girl, she literally had to beg her dad to teach her Latin and Greek because it wasn't like something girls mm-hmm. should learn. And she was successful in convincing him, but not everyone even has a dad who speaks Latin or Greek. So, and like not everyone would be like swayed so easily. So it's kind of yeah. ironic. Also, I have a point. Um, do you remember that video of that dog who they were having like a conversation with and dog was like can you go to walk and then yeah. I was like no uh-huh. and I was like please mm-hmm. that dog well I guess that's not reading but kind of like reading and if a dog can do it babies are supposed to be as smart as oh, dogs yes so then maybe she could read it too yeah good point <laughs> maybe <laughs> that's true <laughs> Um, but those are like pictures on those little buttons it's not like words no but it was what no it was words I think on those little, the things it presses with its paw, doesn't it have, like, a picture? And then it no, says because the some, word. It has, but, like, some of them were, like, oh, why? Yeah, that's true. You know, true. like, that's not a picture. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so, maybe she was as smart as a dog. <laughs> yes. Um, and another writer in the group was Charlotte Lennox. 
who was a poet, playwright, and a novelist, who's most famous for her novel, The Female Quixote, which Jane Austen later used as a model for Northanger Abbey. And I haven't read this book, but it's super famous, and it's literally just Northanger Abbey. So um, if you've read The Northanger Abbey, maybe you don't have to read it, or maybe you'd like to read it. Um, Oh my gosh, (laughs) this is not showing great light on Jane. (laughs) Yeah. Um, another Jane Austen anecdote's coming up, so stay tuned. Um, Hannah Moore was a teacher, playwright, and poet who's most famous for her anti-slavery writing, and she and her sister actually founded some schools for girls in Somerset, so she was actually, like, pro-girls education. We love to see it. Mm -hmm. And one of her most famous novels is Caleb's Search for a Wife, which I've never read, but when I saw that title, I was like, this seems really familiar. And then I was, like, looking through some, like, Jane Austen letters I'd read before. And Jane Austen wrote to her sister Cassandra about this book, complaining about the title. Because Caleb is, instead of, like, C-A-L-E-B, it's spelled with, like, this little O-E, like, diphthong, like, letter. A diphthong? Yeah. Like, it's, like, a O-E, like, an O and E are, like, attached. I don't know, like, what it's Mm -hmm. specifically called. She calls it a diphthong in her letter. Um, mm. and she thinks it's pretentious. She's like, I can't believe she's like titled the book that. And I mean, I think that is a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I just wanted to mention both those anecdotes because I don't think most people nowadays would be like, oh my gosh, Charlotte Lennox. Oh my gosh, Hannah Moore. I know them. I love them. But their writing influenced Jane Austen. And like, at least she was talking mm-hmm. about them and stuff. And Austen is probably yeah. the most famous novelist like ever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's funny that if she's the most famous because her books are not, like, very exciting, you know. <laughs> but I just, I think she is, like, of novelists, probably the most well-known yeah. English novelist. Yeah. Um, like, the world over. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next person, Mom, if you're listening, you'll be excited to hear, is <laughs> Catherine McCauley. Um, I don't know if you know Marva, but Mom's obsessed with Catherine McCauley who was a historian and education philosopher who wrote about... And our great-great-great-grandmother. No relation to our Nana Macaulay. She wrote about women, how women's shortcomings were a consequence of their lack of education. And this is a really similar argument to what Mary Estelle thought, who we talked about in the Mary Montague and Mary Estelle episode. And Mm -hmm. also in the most famous feminist of the century, Mary Wollstonecraft, who wrote a couple years after Catherine. So they were all about, like, oh, like, women aren't stupid, we're just not educated. That was, like, their whole thing, mm-hmm. and it was, like, radical and changed the world. <laughs> yeah, but then why are they being friends with this other girl I know. who thinks Anna, that? I love Anna Letitia Barbell with my whole heart, but then I'm just always like, why you gotta be that way, girl? Like... <laughs> It's like how they say nowadays, like, those, like, tech female CEOs who will, like, not want to help other women because they're like, I had to work so hard to mm-hmm. get here. Like, it's not fair. But maybe she's just realized, like, ignorance is bliss and, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, let them do their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, like, you don't get, like, attacked as much by, like, public people. Like, this whole group gets, like, mocked mm-hmm. and stuff because they're just women who are smart and it's, like, hard. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like they could be off playing cards and gossiping mm. and drinking champagne, yeah. and instead they're drinking tea they're being... and talking about philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe she has some regrets. <laughs> yes. 
Um, I always think that. I'm like, I'd love to just be a farmer right now. Like, not that farming's easy. I tried it. It's really hard. But I'm like, why am I always being like, I need an education? Like, I could have just, like, left after high school and then, like, had a cow and had a nice life. But In what sense did you try farming? I went farming. Like it's, I don't think you can go farming <laughs> no, that's a one time. Um, it was, it's called, it's like something with a G. It obviously made a very lasting impression. <laughs> no, I remember, um, you're just distracting me, collecting produce. What is that called, like? Oh, gleaning, gleaning. Hold on. Okay, yeah. Okay, I did, like, gleaning, which is where you, like, collect, like, leftover things people didn't harvest. So I, like, harvested carrots. And then you we donated okay. to, like, a homeless shelter. You did not go farming. <laughs> I did. You didn't even plant. You didn't even plant anything. I harvested them. It was really cold and it was hard. So I know, like one day of what it feels like. Okay. Well, I grew peppers and potatoes. Oh my gosh! At your and... house, that doesn't count. Yes, but at least I grew something, harvested it, and ate it. Okay, I didn't eat it because we donated it to be. Good but you also didn't grow it, so I'm more of a farmer than you are. Oh my gosh, okay, whatever. I'm also, I'm growing some garlic right now, or whatever, to make, what are those called? Onions, green onions. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay. This has been rough. <laughs> no, this has been rocky. I'm not a farmer, I clearly can't be one, because <laughs> I don't even know what anything's called. Okay, so, there is also a singer called Elizabeth Sheridan and an actress and playwright named Elizabeth Griffith. So we've got five Elizabeths now counting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Elizabeth Sheridan came from a musical family. Her father was a composer and she was one of the most famous sopranos in England. But unfortunately, her husband, who was a super famous playwright, discouraged her from performing after they got married. But she was also a bit famous as a subject for paintings, like a model for paintings. And she was painted by Thomas Gainsborough, Richard Samuel, and our good old friend, Joshua Reynolds, who is in every single episode. Yeah. <laughs> and Gainsborough is in Bath, though. Oh, okay. Or he was at some times, because mm. I went to like this hotel that was called the Gainsborough Bath Spa. Oh, cool. And... Then they also have, like, pictures of his in the museum. Hmm. Nice. Um, and the other Elizabeth, Elizabeth Griffith, was born in Wales, but lived and worked in Ireland. And she grew up in the world of theater because her father was a theater manager. And then she started acting in her early 20s and then became a prolific writer who wrote essays, novels, translations between French and English, plays, and literary criticism. So she was a very productive person mm-hmm. and all of the names I just mentioned come from a painting of the blue stockings by Richard Samuel in 1787 that depicts them as muses and it's currently on our Instagram I just posted that yesterday so if you want to get a visual of what these women look like they're all there 
And they're also remembered in a poem by one of their own members, Hannah Moore, called Baz Blue, which was also written in 1787. And some other women who weren't in the painting but were definitely famous and worth noting are Mary Delaney, who was quite a bit older than a lot of the women. She would have been 60, around 60 years old when the group started, and the youngest members were in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And she was famous for her bold stance on marriage, bold stance in quotes because it's not that bold basically she said marriage shouldn't be necessary it should be a choice so super radical yeah girl (laughs) tell them how you really feel yeah um she became a botanist and botanical artist after meeting joseph banks a famous botanist and scientist and she was artistic all around but best known for her paper mosaics which I'll send you a picture right now because they're really gorgeous. They like don't even like I don't even know what they look like because like they don't look like paintings, but they don't look like paper either. Oh wow. Yeah, aren't they so cool? Wait, so what are they? They're like made from paper, like cut up paper. Mm-hmm. It's called like paper cutting, is like the technique. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But like so is the paper like I'm not an expert. Or did she paint the paper? (laughs) Okay. So, but yeah, I just think those are really beautiful. I'll post them. Yeah, they are really cool. Yeah. Um, And she said, like, she invented a new way of imitating flowers. So it's pretty cool that she, like, did this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And she did end up getting married. So she didn't, like, live up to her words. But maybe she wanted to get married. Well, maybe she chose. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Then there's Hester Thrale, or Hester Piazzi, um, as she was known after her second marriage. And she wrote Anecdotes of the Late Samuel Johnson, which got a lot of backlash. I haven't read this, but it just annoys me so much because James Boswell wrote a biography about Johnson and got literally so famous for it. Like, everyone's like, Boswell, 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 like, even nowadays, because it's, like, this great Mm -hmm. work. And then like a woman does basically the same thing and just causes drama and even though like she knew him personally it's not like she was just like making stuff up um yeah and one critic even called it a heap of rubbish oh yeah it's a bit harsh i know and like samuel johnson who i mentioned earlier wrote the first english dictionary hester wrote a book of english synonyms which is really cool i guess like a thesaurus um okay okay yeah at first i was like "Mm, is that necessary but i guess that is (laughs) is something that does exist yes and she also wrote a pop history book but again critics weren't too crazy about it um but i think that's really cool i didn't even realize they had pop history but i didn't realize that either what history were they even talking about marva this is really modern compared to all of history i know but it just seems like I didn't realize that they knew that stuff about history, like, back then. I mean, they knew that, like, the world existed. <laughs> and they were know, history books, like, be... Shakespeare's plays, like, a lot of them are based on history and based on history books. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Okay, I'll have to check it out, okay. see what she means by pop history. Yes. Um, and... Then there's Anna Seward, who was a poet and the daughter of a poet as well, but her father actually tried to crush her literary aspirations, but that didn't stop her because she was a published poet by the time she was a teenager. 
And in addition to being a member of the Blue Stocking Society, she was a member of the Lunar Society, which was another informal group of famous people from the Enlightenment period, but it's not a girl gang, so I don't really care about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. But it's like more sciencey and political, and there's a lot of guys, and they would meet like on the full moon or something. So that's why it's called the Lunar Society. I'm sure they also did a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs. So much opium, I'm sure of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but Erasmus Darwin, who's like Charles Darwin's grandfather or something, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's his grandfather. <laughs> I'll check. <laughs> um, but he was in it. Charles Darwin's grandfather, unrelated to Charles Darwin. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Somehow they're related. Um, irrelevant. <laughs> no, like definitely it is his one of his grandfathers. I just don't know if it's like great grandfather or something. Okay. But yeah, anyways. So Anna Seward did what Mary Delaney dreamed of. She never married and proclaimed that friendship was superior to other relationships. And many people have also speculated that she was gay. So obviously that would be a reason she never married. Um, But maybe she just was like, I hate all men. I don't know what her deal was. Yeah, maybe she's just like, I like to be on my own. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really weird because historians will either make everyone gay or like, make no one gay and I just don't understand um yeah it's I don't know I guess in some like I can see in some cases like oh like yeah it would be worth speculating but mm -hmm. like in some cases it's like what effect does it have on anything yeah and then lastly there was Fanny Burney who's a novelist I've definitely talked about before because she's super interesting very quirky and I think I mentioned to her before because of her famous account of her mastectomy which was done in the early 19th century oh god yeah oh no i know scary stuff but yeah she was there too and there's still <laughs> there's still a lot of more women i could cover but i can't really tell i couldn't really tell as i was writing this if it was gonna get really boring so i just like stopped there but there are like more people is fanny bernie the one who like threw burned her book Yes, when she was, like, 16, she burned everything she'd ever written. And then yeah. she also, when she first wanted to get published, she, like, had her brother dress up as, like, a French fop. Wait, what's a fop? It's just, like, a word for men who were, like, very, like, flamboyant dressing, kind mm -hmm. of. Um, and, yeah, had him, like, dress up as, like, a French dude and be, like, oh, I found this book, like, oh, do, 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 like, to these, like, publishers, and then they, like, published it, um, but she also published a lot of her books by subscription, too, she was, like, um, really good at that, so, like, getting people to, like, crowdfund her books, um, she made a lot of yeah. money that way, so, yeah. And didn't Jane Austen subscribe? I don't know if Jane Austen subscribed to Fanny Burney's book, I think, Maybe. I thought you told me that. No, we talked about okay. her being a subscriber in one of the episodes we did about Jane Austen, but not to Fanny Burney. Just it was some other person's oh. book, I think. I think I'm not hundred percent oh, sure. Okay. Uh huh. And what's the story about her burning her books? I remember it was something funny. She was just having like a fit as like a sixteen year old, like being like emo oh, and like yeah. burned all of her books. <laughs> um. But yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, for someone like me who's obsessed with the 18th century, a group like this is just the most amazing lens to see the period through because it feels like a glimpse into daily life because you can really picture women passing around Elizabeth's letters or having a candid discussion about whether or not the title of Hannah's book is too pretentious or Mary Delaney <laughs> advising Anna Seward not to feel pressured into marriage, like all these little things that like would just be happening in regular life and like actually affecting their work and their lives. It's like really cool to see. And these were the most well-educated women of their time. Many of them studied Latin and Greek, which was not usually part of feminine education. And that opens up a lot of doors for studying classics and also like writing poetry. So a lot of them were like really learned. And they were also the wealthiest. So several of them had traveled abroad and would have fascinating stories to share with each other. And what's coolest to me is the element of supporting one another with their artistic and literary endeavors. And in a time when women weren't permitted to go to university, that sort of community must have felt super special and empowering. And so I know that the one didn't like the female education, but Mm -hmm. then there were a couple others who did. Mm -hmm. Did they have any like effect on, I don't know, future generations? So, I mean, one of them, yeah, I think, one of them opened a school, but not, like, a college. Um, there weren't really, like, women's colleges until much later in England. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know if that had a huge impact. And, yeah, the group broadly, like, was, like, pro-women's education, but I think more in, like, the casual setting of, like, we talk about educated things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then, obviously, Catherine yeah. McCauley, for sure, is, like, a huge like person in education philosophy so she did like influence people and then Mary Wollstonecraft having like most almost definitely read Catherine Macaulay is then inspired to write Vindication of the Rights Mm -hmm. of Women which we now consider Mary Wollstonecraft one of the founders of like feminism modern feminism so Mm -hmm. yeah definitely have like legacy yeah that's really cool yeah and so whatever happened to the blue stockings? Like, why aren't they here today? I don't know. <laughs> um, I have I'm assuming that they're dead. Yes. <laughs> but like, yeah, that's obviously maybe it just died out. But I also have like a few theories about why these kind of stopped, this kind of group stopped existing. Um, so by the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, attitudes towards educating women were shifting. And... Like I said, we can really thank like Mary Wollstonecraft and, and Catherine McCauley for that. And the idea that Barbold had that women should get their education from men was changing and, and people were more in favor of giving them like an actual formal education. Um, women still couldn't go to university for like 60 more years, not until 1868 in England. But it was just mm-hmm. like, it was on the horizon for like there to be women, yeah. like universities and women going to university. And that, plus Elizabeth Bessie retiring from hosting parties in 1785 after her husband's death, um, not because she was sad, but because instead of leaving her money, he left it all to his mistress and nephew. Oh. So she was just out of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like now one less hostess available, the one who everyone loved the most. So that's another reason. And plus, as we've talked about before on the podcast, In the 19th century, women and men increasingly got separated into different spheres. So these mixed-gendered salons that gave voices to women just probably wouldn't be as Mm -hmm. popular. 
I wouldn't think. Um, And don't get me wrong, like, salons still existed well into the 19th century, but I just can't really imagine something like the blue stockings thriving in Victorian England, especially, like, Mm -hmm. inviting, like, the most prominent men. Like, I don't, I don't know if that would really be okay. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's the blue stockings. Well, we should start our own blue stocking society. (laughs) Yes. Where we can just wear blue socks and <laughs> the only requirement drink champagne is to wear blue socks. <laughs> yeah. Just wear your regular socks. That's the whole point, I guess. No. That's the whole point of the blue stockings, is that those were your everyday stockings. Yeah, but we're taking blue stocking society, we're turning on its head. We mm. wear blue stockings. And we gamble. We drink champagne. <laughs> we play cards. Yeah. We gossip. Yes. Indeed, indeed. Um, but yeah. So that's the episode. Any thoughts, any questions, Marva? Um, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I feel like it's something you can like really like visually like see in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like really cool to like imagine them like going and doing all these things and having these conversations over tea in their mm-hmm. m- mansion houses. Um, yeah. In there. I was thinking about the um, that show we watched a couple weeks ago about the makeup mm-hmm. um and so them with their like big wigs and mm-hmm. white 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 faces yeah um. yeah um I kept thinking about Gossip Girl <laughs> because there's one episode <laughs> where Blair tries to host a salon at Dan's apartment it's like when they're dating um oh yeah and because she meets these like two this couple who like they have salons or something so she's like I'm gonna host one and makes it like British themed mm-hmm. Um, and it's a disaster, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so Just like Dan and Blair. Yeah, and like anything that happens between Dan and Blair will automatically be a disaster. Yeah. Um, well, that was cool. Thank you for doing that, Sprina. Um, it was like fun to like, I don't know, do something a bit different, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I love the 18th century. Yeah, me too. Um, cool. So we have one little announcement uh, that we are going to be going on hiatus for a little while um, because we just need to, you know, come back when we're fully ready to go and can be totally committed to doing this because we value all of our listeners' time and all of our Patreon supporters so much that we want to make sure that we're doing our best possible job and so we will be away for a bit we might still post some things on um, instagram or twitter every once in a while and we will definitely give you guys a heads up as to like when we will be back in full swing yeah so yeah thanks for everyone who's stuck around i know it's been a weird few months of the year um but yeah i hope you guys did enjoy the episodes we've had lately and yeah Feel free to still be suggesting episodes or anything like that and stay involved with us on Instagram and our website. And yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Sabrina. It's been lovely. Shall we sign off? We shall. This This is Sistery. Sistery.